You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Meat and Potatoes. Meat and Potatoes is an expression used to convey the most important and basic part of an idea or practice. This series will explore some of the most critical elements of Christian faith. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, we're going to conclude our Meat and Potatoes series uh, with, and we're going to talk about prayer. Um, if you're new to this church, or if you're new to, to Jesus, I mean, what we're trying to do here is we're trying to uh, follow Jesus. I mean, that's kind of the big idea. We're not here to try to memorize a bunch of stuff and, and, and repeat that uh, necessarily, but we're trying to follow this invitation. And his invitation was to come follow me, to come live as I live, to come into my life, to do as I do. And so uh, at Jubilee in 2015, we're trying to uh, more and more figure out uh, what that looks like like for us, and, and we, we're looking at the scriptures, and we're listening to the Spirit to say, okay, how can we live out? How can we follow Jesus in, in our period, in our uh, time frame? And if you were to ask me, hey, Brian, what is it uh, in your desire to follow Jesus that you find the most difficult to be faithful in and to be fervent in? And there's there's a few things that come to mind. I mean, personal evan- evangelism is one of those, and uh, the dis- willingness to, to, to suffer for others is another one, but right up there for sure is prayer. Um, uh, I, I find it difficult, when I, when I look at the life of Jesus, I, I find it difficult to, to, to pray as he prayed, because when you look at Jesus, when you look at his life, I mean, he is always uh, praying. Uh, Mark 1 35 says, and er, very early in the morning while it was dark, he departed and he went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. A lot earlier than 8.30. (laughs) And after, but he just was praying early after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was still there praying. Luke 3.21, at his baptism, praying. Luke 6.12, in choosing the twelve, praying. Mark 6.46, before and after ministering to others, praying. Before and after miracles, praying. At his final meal, praying. Before the cross, praying. On the cross, praying. You should be getting a trend here. Prayed for his ch- he prayed for children, prayed for Peter, prayed for the disciples, and he prayed for all those who hated him. Uh, Jesus was always, always praying. So fascinating was the life of Jesus in prayer that this was the only thing that the disciples asked, hey, will you teach us to do this? They they never said, hey, will you teach us to teach? They never said, will you teach us to do miracles? But they did say there's something central, there's something significant, there's something magnetic about your prayer life. Will you teach us to pray? Uh, Because they're just like you and I. I mean, um, there's something about uh, prayer uh, that draws us in. It's something that we want to do. It's something we uh, uh, aspire to do, but yet it's elusive for us. And there's something utterly frustrating and mystical about prayer that if we're honest, I mean, a lot of times means that we give up on it or just avoid it altogether because, um, well, so that's why the disciple says, man, if we could, I, we can't pray like you pray. We see you praying, we just, we, just, we just can't do it. Will you teach us to pray? So uh, how many here would say Jesus had prayer nailed down? Like, he, okay, he, he kind of figured that one out. Okay, so we're going to look at Jesus, what he taught us to pray. And before he tells us how to pray, he actually tells us how not to pray. 
And I just want to read a verse uh, that, that wasn't read out of verse 5. If you have your uh, Bibles open to that uh, passage, Matthew 6, we're going to kind of walk through some of this together. He says, this is how not to pray. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. You must not be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrite uh, means pretender. It's a word that comes from the theater world that means to put on the mask. It means to, to pretend to be something. You're not like an actor. Uh, they would say things that other people would say, but it, but it wasn't coming from the heart. And, and what Jesus is saying is that when it comes to prayer, you, you can't pretend. We must not lack authenticity. Uh, when you pray, God's not interested in phony. He's interested in you. He's not interested in what someone else has to say to him. He's interested in what you have to say to him. Uh, he's way more interested in quality than it is quantity. He's much more interested in genuine than he is impressive. For this is what it says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They love it. They love to stand in front of the saints in church and pray with their loud voices and many words. They love to pray at lunchtime in front of their coworkers and their families. Well, what's wrong with that? What, what, what's wrong with, is public prayer in a church wrong? Absolutely not. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, is praying for a meal in public wrong? Um, uh, no, that, what they did wasn't wrong. So, so Jesus wasn't saying praying in the street corner is wrong. Praying in the synagogue is wrong. Praying in all these different places is wrong. It's not what they did that was wrong. It's why they did it. So that they may be seen by others. Uh, at its core, um, prayer is communication to God. That's what it is. So why should you ever pray? It's because you want to communicate with God. You, you should never pray so that you could appear to be something that you're not. So let me flesh this out. So if you're praying for your meal... If you like religiously pray for, you know, every meal that you're a part of and, you know, excuse me, I'd like to pray. Oh, Father, you know, if we get into all that, but you're not in your life thankful for everything. Oh, God, thank you for today. Just thank. Jesus is saying that's hypocritical and you must not do that. You must not pray that way. Yes, of course, he wants you to pray for your meal in public and thank him for that. But. What he wants you to be, he wants you to be a whole person. That's what it means to be a, a person of integrity. That word integrity, uh, mean, the, the root word of that means to be, a whole per, to be whole. And he wants the whole of you the whole of the time. It, it means that our private life with God needs to be as big or bigger than our public life. Not projecting something that we're not but actually having, our, having it be an overflow of who we truly are. And this is very consistent with just the Bible's teaching on how we are to act, how we are to act with each other, that we're not to be, in fact, Romans 12.1 says, let love be without hypocrisy. And then it goes on to talk about this community that is real with each other and it's not putting on fronts. It's not acting one way in private and acting another way around everyone. The Bible just point blank says, don't live that way. Don't, don't pretend to be something that you're not. So the hypocrites were praying for another reason. They wanted a claim. And what does it say? It says, well, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They have received to their reward. 
Which means none of those prayers are getting answered. None of those prayers mean anything to God. Truly I say to you, they have the reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. They didn't get a claim in private, so they don't pray in private. Now, I just want to be clear. What Jesus is saying here is, is not saying that praying in public is wrong. There are some people who have erroneously said, you know, prayer is only private. Uh, it is it needs to be private, absolutely. Uh, but it's not only private. I mean, clear, the Bible is full of public prayer. I mean, Jesus himself actually prayed in public with a loud voice. And when he, with Lazarus, uh, when, he, when he was raised from the dead, he prays out in public with a loud voice. So clearly Jesus isn't saying that, that to pray in public uh, is wrong. That's not uh, the case. What he's saying is that uh, it's the motive for why you are praying. Don't be a pretender. Then he continues. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard with their many words. Again, God is not, just I want to be clear here, because so we don't mishear this. God is not against long prayers. Jesus himself prayed for very long periods of time on several occasions. Uh, Jesus is not even saying, don't repeat yourself in prayer. Jesus himself repeated himself in prayer. Uh, In the Garden of Gethsemane, in uh, Matthew 26, he prayed the same thing three times. Father, uh, please take this cup from me. And he prayed it once, he prayed it twice, he prayed it three times. But what he's talking about is mindless babbling. Uh, that phrase to heap up empty, that, that, that phrase to heap up empty, empty phrases or empty words um, is, is one Greek word. It's, it's um, if I can pronounce this, balitaglio, battlegio, sorry, that's how you say it, um, which means to keep on babbling. Um, in fact, if I was just to say that word over and over again, that's exactly, <laughs> you can thank me later for that one. Um, it's a word that actually used to be described people who would stammer or stutter. Uh, it's the King James Version. I mean, it, it says this word. It says vain repetition. Uh, the, the pagans had a habit of vain repetition in their prayers. And, and actually some people today will, will do that with the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at today. Uh, our Father, just saying, just saying this same prayer over and over and over again mindlessly. We'll see this later that when Jesus says, uh, this is how you should pray, he says, this is, this is how you should pray. He doesn't say, this is what you should pray. That you should pray in this manner. You should pray like this. Uh, but it's just, it's just this repeating over and over again. There's no heart in it. There's no life in it. And, and that's not prayer. That's chanting. And chanting is something that comes from paganism, not Christianity. There was a time period, in this time period, uh, there, there was... Um, like now, there was this pantheon of gods, and you had all these different gods for all these different reasons. So if you wanted to sell your house, you had this god. If you wanted to get a promotion, you had this um, god. If you, if you wanted better health, you had this god. And right across the board, each, each god had their own incantation that, that pagans would just mutter over and over again, a thousand times a day, a thousand times a week, and just over and over and over again. And you have this example uh, in... 
um, in the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 with the prophets of Baal. And I'll just show you this really quickly to, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, there's this great showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And 1 Kings uh, 18.26 says, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. For three hours straight, they chanted like that. And then it didn't stop there. And they cried out and cut themselves after their custom with swords and laces until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of obligation. There was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. They thought... With their many words, they would be heard. They even inflicted pain upon themselves, saying, see how serious I am, God? And there's this mindset that I, that I don't want us to have, that somehow we have to show God how serious we are. And if, maybe if we say it a lot, or maybe if we say it often, maybe if we show them, if we uh, uh, cut ourselves, or if we uh, uh, come to him and, and, and beg and cry and, and of course that we should come to God fervently and passionately. But man, we don't, God doesn't want you to hurt yourself. God doesn't want you to, he loves you. He, he's wanting to, uh, he's leaning in to hear what you have to say. Uh, he's not reluctant to answer your prayer at all. In fact, it says uh, so wisely here, do not be like them, Jesus says, for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. The purpose of prayer isn't to inform God. Um, it's not like when we pray, God's like, okay, I get it now. now. Now I see. Now, okay, I didn't understand before, but now I get it. I didn't realize how serious you were about it. No, he knows before you even ask him. In prayer, we don't inform God, but it's an opportunity for us to express faith. When we pray, we're expressing faith in this relationship that we have with God. That, that he hears us that he wants to hear, hear us and he wants to talk back, that he wants to engage with us. Prayer is faith in that. And so when we pray, it, it's, it, at its core, it's faith that we need God and faith that uh, he wants to be in this relationship, which is why uh, this next point, I think may be more important than uh, you think. It's more important than I thought, actually. So Jesus said this. Now he said, this is how you not pray, but now he gets into prayer. He said, pray like this. He says, when you pray, pray our Father. Our, the person of the Trinity that Jesus tells us to address is not himself or the Holy Spirit. It's to address the Father. Ephesians 2, 18 says this. For through him, that is Jesus, both have access in one spirit to the Father. Prayer is to the Father. It's, it's to the Father. This is how the Trinity works in prayer. It's to the Father. It's through Jesus, meaning because of Jesus, on the merit of Jesus. It's, it's because uh, Jesus picked up the tab that's granted this all access pass. It's because of him. It's through him. It's because of him. And it's in 
or by the power of the Spirit. Paul says in Romans, hey, when you don't know how to pray, the the Spirit is there to intercede and to help us to know how to pray. So how does the, the Trinity work in prayer? We pray to the Father. It's in the name of Jesus. That's why when we pray, a lot of people say, in the name of Jesus. That's not vain repetition. That means something. That means that the reason why I can even pray, the reason why I can even stand in front of God and and talk to God and have him talk back to me is because of him. It's because of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to create some liturgy here, but there's something about this that I think Jesus wants us to get in the gospel. He says this in John 16, 23. He says, in that day, and, and talking about after he's gone, which is now, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father, go to the Father in my name. Talk to the Father in my name and he will give it to you. In that day, he repeats himself, you will, you will ask in my name and I And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. You've got got direct access to the Father. And again, what what Jesus is trying to communicate here isn't like some, like, you you can't ever talk to Jesus. No, I talk to Jesus all the time. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Prayer is communication to God. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Pray the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Convict my heart of sin. Show me what you would have me do today. Uh, speak to me today. Empower me today. Empower him today. Empower her today. It's not wrong to pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit. But there's something in the gospel. There's something in this relationship that Jesus, and actually Paul, if you read on in the New Testament, wants to underline for us. That he's done something Amazing. This, this father that's other that most people just think is some you know, angry white guy in the sky looking to whack us. That he's your father. And he loves you. And you have access to him. I don't have to be the one. It's not like some, sometimes we think of Jesus as the one who kind of like take, you know, he does take the punishment for us. But somehow like, you know, like Jesus has to kind of be the buffer between God and us. And Jesus is like, no, that's, that's not the way it is anymore. Because of what I'm going to do on the cross. You have access. Before, you could never talk to the Father. You could only talk to me. You couldn't even talk to me until I took on flesh. But now that I've taken on flesh, you could talk to me. But I'm telling you, when I go to the cross and, I, uh, and I'm buried and, and I'm raised to new life and I'm ascended to the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, you can talk to God. You can go right to the Father. You have access to him. That's why we often conclude our prayers by saying, in the name of Jesus. That's not like capping off your prayer with like abracadabra, like that's the magic word and that's what you say. I mean, there's something rich in the gospel. There's something rich in our understanding, our theological understanding of our place with the Father and our theological understanding of what Jesus has done for us. That we have this access now with the Father. And it's in the name of Jesus. It's by the power of what Jesus has done for our midst. So we pray.
to our Father. By Jesus, through Jesus, and in the power of the Spirit. So we pray to the Father, and then there's four aspects or headings that we should, uh, should how we should pray to the Father. And I'll just go through these quickly. Um, number one, it should be worshipful. Our, our prayer should be wor- worshipful. Um, there's an order here in how he, he, uh, how he lays out this prayer. I'd say number one, prayer uh, is, it, it, it has, if it's anything, it has to be worshipful. If that's all it is, worshipful, then then so be it. But it must be worshipful. So he says, hallowed be thy name. And what does it mean to hallow something? Uh, it's interesting that not only the ESV translation, but if you are uh, the NIV translation, the NIV translation is not as literal translation as the ESV. The NIV is, tries to be more modern. That's why more people probably have the NIV than anything else. But even in the NIV translation, it still says hallowed. Because there's not real, it's an old English world, it's, it's, in our, it's in our dictionary, but there's not really a good translation for it. it, it just, it's, it's kind of a unique word. And that word hallow means uh, it's something that is sacred and ultimate. What is something that is sacred and ultimate. So to hallow God is to make God your ultimate concern. That's why Jesus had such a problem with the religious guys um, praying because it wasn't God who they were hallowing, it was a claim. What they were hallowing were themselves. So prayer that's just for others, prayer that's just for show. You're not hallowing God. You're hallowing yourself. That's why he had such a big problem. But when you pray, you must hallow God. You must make him. You must see him as your ultimate concern, what is ultimately sacred. In fact, um, I know this is true for me, and, and I think it's true for you, is I think one of the reasons why I don't pray as often as I should and I think one of the reasons why you don't pray as often as you should is because oftentimes our heart drifts and there's other things that we hallow. And it's only until the thing that we do hallow is threatened that we rush to prayer. And so Jesus, like, the, the, if you're hallowing Jesus, I mean, if we're hallowing Jesus, if, like, if the thing about us is he's the one that's ultimate, he's the one that's sacred, we're praying all the time because we just want to worship him. We just want to lift his name up. Some people say, why would I pray? I don't need anything. And what you really mean by that is like every th- the th- all the things that, that's sacred and ultimate to me are doing just fine. But the reality is, man, to, to worship Jesus and to hallow his name and to lift him up, Jesus is saying that true prayer is when God is what you want most. So true prayer is firstly and primarily about praise and adoration and I think it's crucial to see that it comes first. I think it's crucial that, it, that you see that it becomes before petition, that is asking for daily bread, which is important, and it comes before confession, forgive us our debts. Praise should dominate our life and specifically our prayer life because if you start with petition, you're magnifying your needs. So if you start with petition, you say, God, you know, I, I, this is what I need. You're ma- he wants, he knows what you need before you even ask him. So you don't need to rush to prayer to inform God. You you don't need to do that. This isn't about informing God. But when you start with your petition, when you start with need, you're saying what's, in that moment, what you're revealing is like, what, uh, what I'm magnifying is my need. When you start with confession, you're magnifying your performance. As as crucial as confessing your sin and repenting are huge. 
But when you start there in your prayer, you're magnifying those things. But when you start with praise, you're magnifying God. Which is why the psalmist repeatedly says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and exalt or lift up his name. To magnify something isn't to make it bigger, but it's to make how you see it bigger. And our hearts need this. Our hearts need to come to God and we need to have prayer where we're aligning our hearts with what is truly ultimate. What, if our problems are what's big or our performance is what is big, we're, we're, the, the issue isn't that we have problems in our life and the issue isn't even that, that we sin. The issue isn't that we, we have this adoration problem. We have this praise problem. We're not seeing God for who he is. Yes, we have needs. Yes, we sin. Yes, those things need to be confessed. Yes, those things need to be, we need to pray because and, and, God asks us to pray for those things. But we need to come into prayer. And, and actually the model of the Lord's Prayer is a big reason why we structure the services the way we do. When we come, this isn't like just random. Like we come in here and what are we doing? We're, we're, we're magnifying God in worship. We're singing to him. We're lifting his name up. And we like it to be uh, up at him, words about him, not words about ourselves and how we're feeling, but it's words about him. It's words how awesome he is. And, and usually that comes with smiles and singing and clapping and God forbid dancing and like just all these things that just work because we're magnifying who he is. We're excited about who he is. And then we get into preaching um, where the mood goes down a little bit. And then we, uh, that, it, where it leads to God illuminating things through his word things that need to be confessed or even needs and, and think, thinking that needs to change, heart attitudes that need to change, actions, behavior that needs to change. There is absolutely a place for contemplation, but it's not in the beginning of prayer. Uh, excuse me, it's not, yeah, it's not at the beginning of prayer, it's at the end of prayer. There's an, a place for contemplation even when we come together in our services, but it's not the beginning. It, it needs to be toward the end. And... Um, I mean, actually, one of the big things that God's really taken me through right now is, is to contemplate more. But I find my contemplation, it goes much, much better when I start with God and his word and I, worshiping for him. And then I, uh, then I quiet my soul and in light of him, sit there and contemplate who he is and, and what he wants me to do and how does he, he wants me to act that day or that week or, or go back and uh, do a redo. That is, repent or to someone or to... To himself. So it must be worshipful and it must be submissive. It must be submissive. Is your prayer submissive? Submissive to what he wants and not what we want. His kingdom, not our kingdom. Here's a big one. Submissive to his timing and not our time. I found sometimes it's easy for me to submit to what he wants. I find it much more difficult to submit to what he wants when he wants it. Um, you see, when we pray, have, you know, God, we pray for um, earth to be as it is in heaven. What we're praying is, we want more of what it is in heaven. We want it to be more of that down here, please. We want heaven, earth to be just like it is in heaven. And I don't suppose in heaven that when God says to an angel, hey, I want you to go minister to that person, I don't think the angels are like, you know what, I'm kind of tired of that. I, I don't know about you, I think it's pretty chop-chop in heaven. I think it's pretty much like what he says goes in heaven. <laughs> and so when we pray, Father, you know, I want, I want, 
I want earth to be just like it is in heaven. It means I want what you want, when you want it, how you want it. It's the way. It's the only way. It's the best way all the time. I want to be more responsive to you, God. I want to be submissive. I want to be submissive. Um, so is it worshipful? Is it submissive? Is it practical? Pray for basic needs. We pray for our daily bread, not our daily dessert. Um, we pray for bread, not cheesecake. Um, which means that we pray, God, would you sustain what I need? It's, it's, it's not more to, it's, excuse me, it's not wrong to have more. So if you have more than what you need, like basic, you know, shelter, food, clothing, it's not wrong that you have more. Um, but perhaps it is wrong to seek more. Just ask for your daily bread. Um, this is me. This is me uh, seeing what I see in scripture. This list is, but this is what I think daily bread means practically. It means income for shelter, food, and clothing. It's clear that we don't seek these things first. It's clear, just going in the order of prayer and, and how Jesus taught us. It's clear that we seek first the kingdom. Not what we would eat, not what we'd wear, not where we would live. Those are secondary but we, we, are, we, we, do, we can feel confident in praying, God, will you meet these basic needs? I think secondly, we could pray for physical health. God doesn't promise perfect health for everyone. Paul had sickness, Job had sickness. But I can say, and I think, it's, I think it, we can all say, based on what the Bible says, that sickness is not a part of God's will for our life. He he did not create us to live um, in sickness. Uh, but if he allows you to be sick, uh, then rest assured, he has a greater purpose than even your physical health. So he doesn't, he doesn't will you to be sick. It's, we, can, we can feel confident in praying to God, will you make my body well? Will you make his body well? Will you make her body? We can be confident in praying those things. And if not everybody gets healed, we can be confident, not in our wisdom, but his will. We can be confident that he has even a greater purpose than physical health. As, as awesome as physical health is, God has something greater in that. Um, we can pray confidence for healing. There are many people at Jubilee that God has supernaturally healed. Um, some of you may have received bad results from a doctor this week. Or maybe you know someone who got bad results. It's, I, I don't know if it's God's will that you be healed or, or whoever you know is healed. I don't know if it's God's will. And, and, and I don't have to try to figure that out either. But what I do know is God's will is that I pray for you. I do know it's God's will that you pray for each other. I do know that the Lord is our healer. And James says that you have not because you ask not. Uh, one of the things that God has brought to my attention recently on this, on this subject is I've realized over the past year or so that I've spent more time with people explaining why God doesn't heal than actually praying for people to be healed. And I, and I think that's wrong. That when I look when I look at the scriptures, it, it never says, when someone is sick, explain to them why they might be sick. It just says pray for them. It just says pray for them. And I'm just very like, 
linear, logical th- thinker, and, there, and there's advantages to that. There's, 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 there's some clarity to that. But the, the problem is, is that sometimes I'll s- want to seek out an answer for something that, to be honest with you, is just not something I'm ever going to know. And I try to attach a, a purpose to it. And so I just want to encourage us that when, we, when somebody is sick, when someone is, you know, minorly sick or seriously sick, you know, someone comes to you and says they have cancer. I mean, don't pray this like weak, God, I just pray that you give them wisdom and, and the doctors have uh, helped the doctors and man, they've got cancer. Pray that God heals their body. They've come to you. They didn't say, I, I, I need wisdom. Maybe they did. If they did, then pray for wisdom. They've come to you and said, I'm sick. So pray that they get healed. It's not up to you to, to, to heal them. It's not up to you to even explain to them why they may not get healed. When the Bible does say to ask for wisdom when we experience trials, it's talking about how we ask for wisdom for ourselves. So maybe you've been sick for a long time. And James says to you, when you experience trials of many kind, uh, consider it a pure joy. Aren't you glad you've been sick for 10 years? If you lack wisdom, meaning if you lack the perspective that God has something better in your sickness than in your health, if you lack that perspective, then pray to God and he'll give you that wisdom. He didn't say necessarily pray that for other people. When someone's sick and they come to you, pray that they get healed. Try that over and over again. Now, if they come to you and say, hey, you know what? You've prayed for me like 20 times and I'm just, I don't know. I, I'm starting to get discouraged. Then pray for them that, that, that God would give them wisdom. But don't start there. Just have faith that God wants to heal that person and pray for them to be healed. And save the prayer for wisdom a, a, another day. Okay. Um. Because there, there's, you know, I hear this. I'll say this. I'm sorry. I'll go quick. I hear, I, there, there are those of us, and, and I put myself in this, who would, who would take something like, you know, I want to be a, a word-based person, not an experience-based. But what I have found when people say I want to be word-based, what they mean is they want to read their Bible and only read their Bible and gain knowledge and understanding over and over and over again and have absolutely no intention of living it out. And so when, when they see someone living it out, they're like, well, that's experience-based. Well, let me tell you, but, but here, follow me on this. If someone is reading when someone is sick, pray for them and then they go out and pray for them that that's what it means to be uh to be a word-based person someone who reads their bible and says well i don't pray for people because god doesn't heal everyone based on his word or your experience if you're someone who sits and and reads the bible and never pushes out in faith I just want to submit to you that you're the one who is experience-based. 
you're, you're living based on your experience. You're not living on actually what the Bible says. To live what the Bible says, take this faith. It, it goes beyond our experience. It goes based upon what he says. So let's not be a church because we love the word of God and we revel in the word of God. We want to know it and we want to receive it. But let, let that not mean for us that we only study it, that we only read it, and that we don't actually seek to believe what it says, that is, do what it says. Is it repentant? Is your prayer repentant? Um, He says, God, forgive me just as I forgive others. Can you pray that? Or is that, or you not want to pray that? Do you want God to forgive you uh, the way you forgive others? Or do you want to skip that part? Then he says, lead us not into temptation. God, you know where I'm weak. You know where I fail. You know about my pride, my anger, my lust, my bitterness, my self-centeredness. God, you know where I'm weak. Save me from where I'm weak. Save my family from where they're weak. What a great prayer. And then finally, is it, is it expectant? This is, this is only in the NASB translation. Some of you may know this. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. James says that when we pray, we must pray with faith. A person who doesn't pray with faith shouldn't expect anything from the Lord. If we don't come to him with expectancy, uh, we, we shouldn't expect anything. Um, well, this week we, we have this awesome opportunity to put this teaching into practice. We have um, a week of prayer. And... Um, what happens in our week of prayer is that community groups uh, throughout the week gather to pray. Um, some of them meet in this building on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Others are meeting in homes. If you're out in the county, those are in homes. Um, and this Friday night, the whole church gathers. And the added bonus to this Friday is it's Good Friday. Uh, and also, we're going to be recognizing um, elders, one in each, from each location, from the city, Washington, and the lake. And we're kind of all going to be together. And I don't want to beg you to come or worse, guilt you to come. Um, but if this is your church, um, then I'm your pastor and I am asking you to come. I'm asking you to come for the sake of this city. I'm asking you to come for the sake of this church. And I'm asking you to come, I think most importantly, for you, for your heart's sake, uh, for your heart's passion toward God, because here's what we're going to do. Number one, if this is the, all of what we do, it, it's going to be a good time, is that we're going to hallow the name of God. We're going to hallow his name. Um, when we gather, sometimes that's all we do. And, and that's a good prayer time. You don't have to run through this list every time, but if you are going to do anything, you need to hallow God. And we're going to hallow God. And we're going to pray for his kingdom to expand. Not our kingdom. Not our world. Not our schedules. Not first, not our health, not our jobs, not what our kids are involved in. Those aren't the things that we're going to hallow in our life. And we're not going to hallow them first and foremost in our prayer. We're going to hallow God and we're going to pray that his kingdom expand. And then we're going to expect that God is actually going to do something on our behalf. 
Not, the ba- not on the basis of our experience, although our experience testifies that God moves, but on the testimony of the scriptures. And if for no other reason God asks us to, that should be enough.